everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined as always by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Well, not always, but I'm back. Not always. He was he was absent last week, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is back. And so we have an excellent show for you. Uh, we will, of course, update you on all the goings on at the box office, uh, the movies opening up this weekend, and we'll get into a little bit of discussion about uh, some of the movies itself and a big Star Wars update. Uh, there was a big Star Wars update this weekend, and so we'll hit that up real briefly. And then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about the role movies play in culture, which should be fun. All right, Rob, you ready to get started? Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, so first up, we'll cover uh, quickly cover the box office results from the past week. Uh, new number one in its first week in the box office, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, did $37.2 million. Uh, John Wick fell to number two this week uh, at $28.3 million. It did cross the $100 million barrier. It has now made $123 million in its two weeks in the box office. His only son finished uh, third in the box office in his first week, $5.5 million. $5.3 million for Scream and $5 million even for Creed 3 in its fifth week in the box office. Uh, anything stand out to you there? So a whole lot of not much new except for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, too. His only son was new this week, too. But that was never going to be a uh, a broad, yeah. you know, smashing box office success. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, not that surprising. I don't think uh, I think the drop off for John Wick is about what we've seen for drop offs in second weeks. Um, what do you make of the thirty seven point two for Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, it's it, interesting because there's been a lot of doubt uh, slash nervousness about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. uh, because previous versions of it have not done very well. Yeah, um, but from what I've heard, this is a pretty good movie and it's supposed to be really funny. Um, and Chris Pine is always great in my yeah. opinion, mm-hmm. worth watching. So I might still try and uh, check this one out in the theater at some point. I did see a new movie uh, the other day, but it was not Dungeons and Dragons. So <laughs> I actually did see this one last night, actually Dungeons and Dragons. So I can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, it was funny. Uh, that is, that is one of the best parts about it. Uh, I I don't know what I was expecting in terms of box office numbers, but this feels right. It feels about what you'd expect, especially with uh, the movies that are out. There's a broad range of movies out. So anyone going to the theaters is going to have a, a wide variety of options. And um, But lacking a, a giant tentpole movie, I'm not surprised it's number one. And I'm not really that surprised about the box office amount. So. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say it won't be number one next week. It will not be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's talk about what's coming out this weekend here. Um, we're recording this a little bit later, so some of you may have already seen some of these movies, but uh, three big ones coming out this weekend. Uh, we have Air, 
And Air is, is probably the movie I'm most interested in seeing, but we'll get to that in a moment. But Air follows the history of the shoe salesman Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of the greatest athlete in history of basketball, Michael Jordan. So it's about the pursuit of Michael Jordan and the development of the Air Jordan 1, the iconic uh, sneaker that, uh, that made Nike famous. Uh, so that is starring... Uh, Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck, Chris Messina, Viola Davis, uh, does not feature does not f- feature Michael Jordan at all, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Chris Tucker is also in this one. Uh, the next one, Super Mario Brothers, the Super Mario Brothers movie. This is the story of the Super Mario Brothers on their journey through the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. Great description there, uh, IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Pratt, Andy Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black. uh, Good cast in this one. Uh, This is an animated movie, if you were not aware and have not seen a trailer. Uh, Looks like uh, quite a a good movie in terms of visualization. Uh, And next one, you have perhaps the most odd, maybe interesting is the better word, uh, selection of the weekend and that is paint now paint stars owen wilson and it is charlie nargle vermont's number one public television painter is convinced he has it all a signature perm a custom van and fans hanging on every stroke until a younger better artist steals everything and everyone carl loves uh so somehow this is not a biopic on Bob Ross. Despite the fact that it basically looks like a ripoff of Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a Bob Ross movie Bob. that's not about Bob Ross. Exactly. It is not about Bob Ross. They want you to know it's not about Bob Ross, despite making everything about it remind you about Bob Ross. Uh, if you're not familiar with Bob Ross, uh, very famous painter on PBS. Uh, had very interesting mannerisms and uh, it was kind of someone if you grew up in the in the 90s uh, and earlier you were very familiar with who Bob Ross was and he had a weird like cathartic way of um, speaking and painting and yeah it was pretty remarkable but uh, it is not about Bob Ross just gonna paint a happy little tree over here in the corner yes yeah (laughs) but paint is not about bob ross (laughs) all right rob uh i know you've seen one of these movies already Uh, what do you make about the this week's uh this week's movies well i am also interested in seeing air but i saw super mario Mm -hmm. um i saw it saturday evening and i can say that uh when we or no friday evening when we were looking at um, tickets for it, we got tickets to, like the only show in York that still had tickets. Mm-hmm. So I know, uh, at least over here, like a lot of people were going to see it. And I'm sure that a lot of people are going to see it everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll give my my broader thoughts on this when we get around to it. Um, but I I like that there's a couple different kinds of uh, movies coming out this weekend. And I am interested in seeing air. I know I, I'm curious about paint, but I don't know if that's one I would necessarily go see in the theater. I might wait. 
yeah for that one yeah i agree on that front um air is the one i'm most interested in here i am a sneaker head and uh the jordan sneakers were were um a huge thing that i wanted as a kid growing up i wanted the air jordans um and now as an adult i've had the opportunity to get some of the classic air jordan models and uh uh, it's great <laughs> and so I am, I am all about i am all about uh all about this one and it's i've read uh i've read some of the books on the founding of nike and uh uh phil knight's book shoe dog which is really good uh which talks about his journey and and how he ended up creating nike but um so i'm very interested in seeing this one play out so yeah air is air is the one for me but um I wanted to highlight something else that kind of came up um, there. I've, I've seen a little bit of backlash to the Super Mario Brothers movie. And um, I wanted to I wanted to just talk about it for a minute. And some of the backlash was basically to sum it all up without going into detail. It's basically like this movie doesn't do enough to speak to non gamers. Now. That, I mean, they they also said it with a really terrible tagline. One of them in particular, there's an article that came out that says, this movie has all the charm of an unplugged Game Boy. Uh, you don't plug Game Boys in. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this just absolutely reveals you have never played a video game in your life. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that does, that does bring up a question and i mean you can talk about it kind of from the super mario brothers point or we can just go broader on this one depending on how you want to do it but the question kind of is is it bad for a movie to be designed for a specific audience and therefore make it less accessible to other people is that a bad thing is uh, that a flaw of a movie in my opinion whoever wrote this needs to sh shut up <laughs> um, because would you go to a horror movie and come out and say they didn't do enough to uh, make this movie accessible to people who don't like scary things <laughs> like if you don't know that you're going to a Super Mario Brothers movie to watch a movie about video games then y you're an idiot <laughs> that's just my opinion yeah. uh -huh. Like, don't complain about the movie being about what the movie said it was going to be about. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get. I'm not tracking with this line of reasoning. It doesn't make any sense to me because the whole point of having sub genres in movie making is so that people can find their niche. People can find the mm -hmm. that they are interested in, whether it's horror, or action, or comedy, or uh, you know war movies about world war ii or submarine movies or you know any any other 80s action movies like any other line mm -hmm. of movies there is something intrinsic about each of them that is not going to speak to everyone who goes to see it yeah and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think that's what movies are about yeah and i would agree i think most movies have a target audience and that target audience is different based on the type and style of movie. Now, if you are creating a blockbuster movie where you're going to, your budget is going to be $200 million, you better have a 
broader base of appeal or else you're never going to recoup your money. So if you are going to create a movie that has a smaller subgenre or a very, very specific audience, then you need to be cost controlled because <laughs> you need to be aware that you're only drawing every you know third or fourth people. You know, that that's just a reality of what it is. And I I think very specifically, uh, we've talked about this many times, like horror, a decent horror movie, you know what you're going to get. You know, if you put out a decent horror movie, you're going to get at least 25 million on opening weekend. Mm -hmm. You just are. You're going to get at least that. Now, if you're, it's a, a really big franchise or it's something else you can make up like Scream made, I think, what was it? Scream is up over well over 100 million, I think. Um, so you're going to you're going to get some bigger numbers on occasionally, but you have to tailor your your budget to that if you're going to be a very specific subgenre. And I think this is where where sometimes um, some of these movies fall prey is where they're expecting a bigger audience and therefore their budget matches that. And then the movie is specifically tailored to a very small subgenre or. Uh, and I yeah, I, I, you know, part, a couple of things. I, I think that, sure. um, like the gaming subculture is not a small subculture. It is, it is not a small subculture. Um, Plus, uh, you get all of them like me, who, who am not a video gamer, but I was a video gamer back when the Mario yes. Brothers first came out. And, and I thought, um, have this is so I saw this movie the other day, and I thought it actually did a very good job at speaking to like a wide range of people not just people who played the video games mm -hmm. so I, I find the whole premise of this article in relation to this particular movie to be flawed and incorrect yeah and i i kind of think that um i was looking at on rotten tomatoes and it also made me think about that because right now rotten tomatoes the critics score which they average like a certain percentage of the highest um rated critics on the website is 56 percent, but the audience score is 96 percent yeah and so i think that sometimes critics this is one of my biggest problems with criticism yeah. is you can't judge every movie on the same rubric and that's the problem with a lot of movie critics correct because a movie is made to reach the audience it's intended to reach 96 percent of the people who saw the movie are saying they loved it probably because they went into it you know expecting to like it um, i think critics often go into a movie expecting to not like it there is, by the very nature, if you're a critic, you have to find things. Your goal is to try and find things wrong. I think mm -hmm. by nature, it feels like you don't have your credibility unless you can pick something apart. Um, I think that is a is a tends to be a weakness of of the the genre, or or not the genre, a weakness of the position of being a critic. But yeah, I do think like. They have specific type of things they look for as to whether something is a great movie. And I don't think they factor in the audience. Like you're never, it's very, very rare. I mean, I think some of the Pixar movies broke the mold on this, but it's very rare you find a kid's movie that the critics will, will say, oh, this was a fantastic movie. But you're designing a movie for kids. And then there's obviously going to have to be a level of, um, you know, not dumbing down, but a level where you have to make it a simpler movie because it's for kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I think that has to factor in is what they're intending to do and what they're trying to do and what the intended audience is. So 
Okay. Um, I just thought that was interesting and thought it was a good opportunity to bring that up a little bit. Uh, we're going to add one more story, which came out uh, just in the last day or so. And uh, at the, at the star Wars uh, celebration uh, showcase this uh, this weekend. Uh, lots of big announcements were coming out about Star Wars. Uh, and this being a movie podcast, I'm going to focus on the big one for the movie industry. And that is the Star Wars franchise is getting three new movies. Yes, there are three new Star Wars movies in production. Uh, but it's interesting how they're going to do this. Each one of them is going to be a standalone movie in a set in a different time period in the Star Wars timeline. Uh, so let me just uh, give you some of the details here. Uh, the first film is going to be done. Well, I don't know if it's the first film. They didn't necessarily say which order these things are going in. But one of the films is going to be uh, directed by uh, Dave Filoni, who has been in charge of The Mandalorian. And this movie is going to take place after Return of the Jedi but before The Force Awakens. So the kind of goal for this movie is to kind of close out and tie up the interconnected storylines of The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, the Ashoka series that's coming up, and other of the new related, New Republic-related franchises on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so you're going to see this movie take place in between um, the original trilogy and the, the latest trilogy, and it's going to kind of uh, tie all that stuff together and build a better bridge there. So that's one of the movies coming out. Uh, the next one is going to be uh, directed by James Mangold. And uh, what he had to say about this was this. This is going to take you very early in the Star Wars timeline. It says, we came up with an incredible story to tell about the dawning of the Force. So the, this uh, movie is going to be directed by Mangold. We'll focus on the dawn of the Jedi, which could be really intriguing. So this one's going to be way early in the Star Wars time. Hmm. The third movie is going to take place uh, 15 years after the events of the rise of Skywalker. So the 15 years after the latest trilogy, and they announced that Daisy Ridley will be returning as Rey as a, and she will be a Jedi master in this movie. So this is this is interesting. So instead of doing this will be the first time they've done um Star Wars canon. Oh, they've they've messed around with some of the other stuff. This is not the first time they've done standalone movies, but it's uh it will be interesting that they've announced that they got three in there and they're not they're not going to be chronologically based. Uh so uh I know you're hearing this for the first time, Rob. What do you make? What's your initial reaction to uh, to what the what the Star Wars franchise has planned? Uh, definitely interesting and not what I expected. Yeah, and maybe that's what we need from Star Wars. Yeah, because I I do feel that at least on the movie side of things, some uh, some of the work might have gotten a little lazy or. You know, formula formulaic was the biggest, you know, mm -hmm. criticism of the new newest trilogy. Yeah, I thought that like Rogue One, um, mm -hmm. was phenomenal as a standalone movie, and you didn't like it helped if you knew the Star Wars story for it to, like place it in its setting. But mm -hmm. I felt like a really good job of just being a movie unto itself. Yeah, uh, 
And I felt that way about the TV shows I've watched as well, The Mandalorian and Andor, um, Boba Fett. I, I think those have also been pretty good, not that they're movies, but they have gone for a cinematic kind of feel with those things too. And so I think that if they can just focus on making the story good, um, people will be invested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I said, the, the biggest criticism was just that it was too much kind of copy and pasting some of the stuff from the other movies, the newest trilogy. So I think this gives them the freedom to break out of that mold and that criticism. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what they do with it. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other criticism that was happening is because they went, they started out with J.J. Abrams. Then they went to uh, Ryan Johnson and then they went back to J.J. Abrams. And it felt like it's like Ryan Johnson took a different approach than what J.J. Abrams did. And it, it felt like a different voice and a different thing. And then it went back to J.J. Abrams to try and correct what he thought was the errors of Ryan Johnson. And so you got what is essentially a mess of direction in terms of the way they were taking the characters. Um, I think that was a massive failure on the part of those running that franchise that they did not have that planned out ahead of time and that they, they let that happen. But the night that's where I think they're, they have the potential to succeed in here is because they're not attempting to do three consecutive movies that follow the same timeline. So there is no potential damage that you can do on that front. Um, So you're not trying to convey one voice through three movies. And as you were, as you were saying, I think um, what we've seen from the standalone movies has been rather good. Um, Even solo. I like solo. I thought solo was entertaining. Um, And rogue one is possibly one of the best star Wars movies ever made. And uh, you know, and that's saying something because there's some pretty good movies in that franchise. Um, So I think there's a lot of potential here. I also think they've waited long enough that that there's uh, there's there's a desire for it. I think the Star Wars franchise suffers when it has too much content, mm-hmm. unlike Marvel, which kind of is built on having regular updates and content. Mm-hmm. I think Star Wars benefits from the break, and so we've had a few years, and I think um, they've learned a few things. And I'm hoping that this this goes well for them. And I think it's always very difficult to f- please Star Wars fanboys because, <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's a tough genre. It's a, it's a tough fan base to please. But I think there's a lot of potential here uh, for what they have in mind. OK, so that's our discussion of the Star Wars update. Uh, so now let's go into our discussion topic. Um, and I was thinking about this from a broader context. Um, I forget exactly what was triggering it in me. Actually, you know what it was? It's I'm working on some I'm working on some other projects um, for filmforfans.com, and some of them involves involve like um, me me looking at some some movies from the '90s. And then, and then a period of the late '90s through the early 2000s, and I'm working on a piece for that. And it really, what really strikes me about this is, you know, because we are several, we are several decades on from that particular period, as to how much those movies 
um, were markers of the times that they were in and, and how they reflected um, kind of a national conversation around um, in particular, one of them was technology around because you had in the late nineties, you had the rise of the internet and you have the rise of the internet age. And there was all kinds of philosophical questions as to what that was going to do and what that was going to be. Um, so I thought I would ask this question. What role do movies play in culture? What role do movies play in culture? And, and we'll get to some specific questions along the way. Um, and one of those specific questions will be like, to what degree do movies reflect culture? And to what degree do they uh, direct culture? Um, and what is the good or bad of the role movies play in culture? But we'll start, let's start with the basic question. What role do you think movies play in culture? Well, I think that if we're speaking in broad terms, movies help um, explain the culture. Like you were saying, with the 90s techno-based movies, um, in a lot of ways, they voiced the fears, worry, confusion, doubt, um, and also hope of what these kind of things would be able to do for us in the future. Um, I think that no matter what era you're looking at, you're going to see a reflection of society in that way um, of thought processes and um, fears, but also, you know, hopes and dreams. Um, I think this goes all the way back to like science fiction from the 1920s, like Fritz Lang's Metropolis, like, mm -hmm they were watching that and they were thinking what kind of future could we have and how would it be amazing? And also how would it be terrifying? And these things, no matter what the fear or hope is consistently show up in all of movies. Yeah. It's part of, I think it's part of what makes watching movies more than just, you know, throwing something on and not thinking yeah um that's, that's why we have why we're able to talk about movies for an hour mm -hmm. every because there's so much more to it than just pretty pictures on a screen um there I, I i had it once said to me that um you need to be careful what you watch and think about what you watch because everyone who's ever made a movie is trying to tell you something with what they've made mm -hmm. um and that will be true from the beginning of movies until the end of movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of fascinating. We think about the role movies play in culture and, mm -hmm. and it's so unique um, being Americans. And we are, we are like the home of, of Hollywood. We are the home of the movie industry, as it were. Um, the U S produces the biggest and, you know, most array of movies in the entire world. Um, so there is, there is not that there is not great cinema that is produced elsewhere, but there is a sense in which it's kind of an American cultural thing. You know, everyone in the world goes to movies, but there, there's something unique about the American culture and the movie. Um, it is, it is a part of our DNA as it were. 
And, and so with that, I think there's a level where it plays a, un, a unique role in the American culture. Um, I think at times, at times the, when done, when done really well, movies have expressed thoughts, feelings, concerns, um, fears that, that many people in the general public have or have had in ways that they have a hard time articulating themselves and, and put words to it. Um, it reflects, you know, it reflects ideas. It reflects thoughts. Um, it reflects kind of where we're at, you know, and one of the things I love about great sci-fi in particular is it, it often takes a specific premise. It takes a specific question that people are wrestling with and it plays it out. And so you get to watch on screen as it plays out this thought in your head. Um, and that's, that's, what's really, really fascinating about movies is there's a level where it's able to take you places that, and see places in a way that you can't go otherwise. Um, seeing things from your imagination, being able to see them in real life uh, as, as close to it as you, as you can get for things you can't create otherwise. It's, it's fantastic. What, uh, let's, let's reflect on this one a little bit. What degree do you, do you think they reflect culture and what degree does you, do you think movies create culture? So in thinking about this question, I, um, I do think that movies do create culture in the way that they amplify what they're reflecting. So I don't think movies are a straight reflection of what's happening in society necessarily. We've used that terminology a lot, but I do think more often it's an amplification yeah. of what's happening in society and in particular areas of society. And I, think specifically when we talk about this and we've referenced it uh, several different times on this podcast the movie Joker that came out mm -hmm. with Phoenix I feel like was a broad amplification of uh, a certain subset of American culture that is very frustrated with the status quo very unhappy with authority um, and feeling very helpless to the point where it's completely bleak. There's like, there's no re there's no redemption yeah. at all in the movie. And so I think there, there's a danger inherent in that, that if you amplify something to the point of excluding any hope whatsoever, that I, I don't think you're painting necessarily an accurate portrayal of what the, what the holistic culture is. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're emphasizing one part of things to evoke a reaction, which I think it did. Um, and if they make the, obviously there's a, at least an, another one coming out, we'll probably do the same thing. Um, but you know, it's, it's not the fault of the people who made the movie that they are focusing on one particular aspect of things, because that is how you drive emotion. Mm hmm. Um, but because of that, I don't think 
it's necessarily a true reflection of what's happening. Uh, more an amplification of a certain, a small part of what's happening. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I like, I like your, your initial analogy. What was the phrasing you used on that right at the beginning? You said it amplifies what it reflects or something along those lines. How do yeah. You so, so instead of being a true reflection of culture, it amplifies um, a small part of culture, which in fact, like it functions as culture creation. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. 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 I was thinking, um, and since this is this is a movie topic, I feel like I need to quote a movie here. Um, there's there's a great scene um, in the outdoor cafe in in Paris in Inception where he's trying to explain to Ariadne where um, Leo DiCaprio's character is trying to ex- explain to Ariadne uh, how the process of dream creation works, and he says that you know you kind of feel like you're thinking it and creating it at the same time. And I think that gets, that's, that's the analogy I think about when it comes to movies and the degree they reflect and the degree they create culture. It's both. And it's kind of exactly what you were, you were phrasing it. Um, They're taking the inputs from culture and then creating it at the same time. Um, there's, there's, it's interesting. There's several things about this. Like, have you ever just found yourself, um, experiencing something in real life and you'd be like, Oh, the movies really didn't prepare me for this. (laughs) 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 Like, like I thought this would be different. Wait, why did I think this would be different? Wait, Oh, because I've seen this in movies a bunch of times. Like I'll give you a perfect example. Like every scene in a TV show and movie where I've seen someone have a baby like afterwards, like the baby goes into this giant room with all the other babies and like the moms come and visit it and the baby just stays there. And then I didn't realize like they've stopped doing that exactly in a lot of hospitals. Like the baby stays in your room now. And like, I didn't even know that they had this other room anymore. And then I was thinking about like, where's this room where all the babies go? Like, (laughs) like this is what I've seen in movies. Like, (laughs) Uh, so there, you know, there's ways in which like we are affected by the movies we watch in ways that we don't really even understand. And, and so, um, it affects how we think it affects how we view story. And, um, I think there is, there's an inherent responsibility to that. And we'll get to this when we get to the the positives and negatives about this. There's a responsibility to that one that I don't always think Hollywood takes seriously enough. Um, And there's a degree to, I, I think if you're getting too far out of whack in terms of like the culture creation aspect of things, I think the audience senses it and rejects it. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of a lot of movies, especially in the modern era, have made is they're too much trying to direct the culture rather than than kind of get in that middle. Like what Leo says to Ariadne is like we can get in the middle of that process and you kind of create and and discover at the same time. There's there's that element when a movie sits right in that role where they're taking things they're observing in culture and they're giving their spin on it and their take on it 
in a in an accurate holistic reflected manner i think it helps it helps put emotion it helps put words to what we're thinking and feeling uh but when it starts trying too hard to create the culture i think it gets into trouble and mm-hmm. so but by nature because movies so many people i mean so many people watch more movies than they read books you know it's kind of a shame but it's true like people watch more tv and they watch more movies than they read books so so many so many of the times like movies are one of the things that we all kind of still have in common like we all still go to movies and so i think there is a there needs to be a responsibility in that mm-hmm. um what 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 would you say is the good and bad of the role that movies play within our culture so you were just saying this, but to expand on it a little bit, I think the danger or the bad is that you create this reflection of society or this altered reflection of society, and then there's no like there's no resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving it up to the audience to figure out like how am I supposed to respond to this? Which I really like movies that do that. <laughs> um but when you present something so like bleak and dark and damaging and then don't give a solution like you you kind of walk out and go well what am i supposed to do with that <laughs> like yeah what do i do now except just be depressed <laughs> yeah um and i i think there are some movies like that we've both seen some movies like that i think you um mentioned uh, a man called otto had some of that kind mm-hmm. of feeling as well yeah um that there is this question of how responsible are the people making the movies versus how responsible does the audience seem to be in their reaction to them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure i think i'll start on the bad end of it i think what can happen is and i think this is kind of reflective of what we're seeing a little bit and we've talked about a lot about how like the Academy Awards have become disconnected from the average moviegoer. And so more and more of the movies that are are getting acclaim and getting nominated are movies that nobody's seen or people have to go out of their way to see. Um, as opposed to what we were talking about with the 90s movies where everyone would have seen all of those movies. And I think what you run the risk of because movies hold the place they do in the culture as the as the Hollywood uh, becomes more elitist, as it were, as it becomes more disconnected from the average moviegoer, um, there is a sense in which they they start driving towards specific ends. Um, and especially as our society has become more political and there's fewer and fewer spaces that are not infused by politics, you see that more and more films are trying to push cultural things. And and we see that heavily in Hollywood. And I think what happens is that that gets, instead of being a break from the polarization, movies become a flashpoint for the color and for the polarization. And I think that that can be a real problem. So where instead of, instead of being an escape, it becomes an amplification of of the issues um 
And I think there's, there's a, that kind of goes to the responsibility. And also on, on the, on, again, on this front is, I think what you see is when a movie tries to drive at a specific end. And I think when you, you see good creators talk about this is they'll say, you know, I have to let the character drive the story, you know, or, or they'll talk about, okay, the character needs to be, we need to figure out, okay, what would this character actually do in these moments? When you start writing things, when you start creating things with a specific end in mind, you tread on the line towards propaganda. And people feel that. People feel that you're trying to push them towards something and they react against it uh, because it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel organic. It feels like it's forced. And I think we're getting more and more of that pushed down from Hollywood because of these type of things. And I think, again, that just kind of increases the cultural issues. So uh, anything good you see in the fact that movies play the role they do in the culture? Uh, I think that, like we mentioned, movies can amplify troubling parts of society that also can amplify positive parts of society that we might not necessarily see all the time or know about or shed light on stories that have not been heard. Mm-hmm. I think those are some of the most powerful things about the movie industry that they can bring us these stories that um, are uplifting and encouraging because those are out there too. And they are also, they also create visual visceral reaction in people, Mm -hmm. you know, that is positive. So it's definitely not all bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, And I think there's a sense of like, even with music, music is so fractured. Like there's so many bands and there's so many different types of genres and types of movies or types of music that, you know, you can meet somebody and you will have listened, you listen to almost none of the same music. You know, it's very difficult to meet somebody whom you have not seen some of the same movies <laughs> that with some people you have to dig down a little bit further to find them but there are there are connection points in movies with people across a broad spectrum that you don't necessarily get with other avenues of entertainment and so i think i think that is one of the good things about about movies is that they connect and they create a culture their connection points for culture and and that can be that can be a very good thing when used properly or even just not used poorly (laughs) you know i mean even just not used poorly and it has a way of marking the times it has a way of marking um historical periods um ways of reflecting on it you can see as you look back and as you study films like you can see you can see like pictures of that culture. They're like little slices of culture. And it's fun to go back and look at them uh, from that standpoint. And so I think there, there's a, there's a level of history on that too. Yeah. So um, I think, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of good, but I think there's a lot of danger in where we're at on this front um, along the, 
the movies and the reflecting of culture. And hopefully we'll get back to more of the positive aspects. Okay. Well, that is our discussion for this uh, evening. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed some of that. Uh, let's go on to our watch list, movies that we've watched over the past week. Rob, what'd you watch? So I went and saw Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah said. right. Um, I find, as I said, I found the disconnect between the critics' score and the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes to be very amusing, a 40% difference um, as of this recording. And I thought that the movie was very good. Um, the soundtrack was excellent. Uh, more so, the soundtrack, each of the songs fit in to what was happening. They weren't just thrown in, it didn't feel like. Um, I know one of the biggest criticisms that I had heard going into this movie was that Chris Chris Pratt didn't sound like Mario, he sounded like Chris Pratt. <laughs> um, watching the movie, I, I didn't hear Chris Pratt, I heard Mario. So mm. I, I think that uh, that criticism was completely unfounded. Um, I don't know if they did anything in post-production to alter his voice or anything, but uh, it definitely was not something that I heard as I was watching the movie or, uh, you know, was distracted by or anything like that. And I thought they did a really good job of paying homage to the games, but also still making it accessible enough for people who haven't played all the games to enjoy it. And I was at the movie with some people who hadn't played all the games and they enjoyed it. So I just, like I said earlier, I think that article that you uh, brought brought up, that person has no idea what they're talking about. But you know, I suspect it as much, but not everybody can be right all the time. Yeah. Um, I also watched uh, Puss in Boots, the first one. Mm. I didn't remember any of it <laughs> after watching the new one. Um, and I thought it was quite good. It was actually, it actually came out in 2011. So it was over a decade ago that the first one came out. And I'm pretty sure that when Antonio Banderas first took this role in the, I believe it was the second Shrek movie, his, his first appearance as uh, Puss in Boots, I'm, almost positive they're like so antonio you get to play zoro again but as a cat <laughs> and i think he was probably like that sounds weird okay because <laughs> this is absolutely zoro as a cat and it's uh even more evident in the first movie um there's some some scenes in it that are kind of direct takeoffs of scenes that happen in the movie zor the mask of zoro mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me um but I I enjoyed it. Um, Zach Galifianakis is also in it as Humpty Dumpty, and he's very funny um, in everything he does. So those are the two main ones I saw. I saw some other smaller things as well. Um, got some exciting horror movies coming out soon, so we'll be talking about those when we get there. Mm -hmm. But a couple Stephen King movies are coming out, Salem's Lot and The Boogie Man. Um, two movies we're looking forward to in the next couple months. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. How about? Uh, so I watched a number of things. I will briefly mention that I watched John Wick One and John Wick Two. Uh, I was catching up on them. I was originally going to do that before I saw John Wick Four, but uh, I just couldn't wait and went and saw John Wick Four. And I <laughs> talked about that on the podcast last week. I gave you my initial thoughts. Uh, also, I've written a full review. That is now up on filmforfans.com, which I forgot to post on Facebook, but I'm going to do. Uh, so my re full review of John Wick 4 is up. 
Uh, but I watched John Wick 1 and 2 kind of to prepare. I've talked extensively about the John Wick movie, so I don't feel like I need to go into that too much here. Um, but as part of my uh, weekly movie challenge, I mentioned last week on the podcast, and I've mentioned it several times that I'm following this weekly movie challenge. And last week's challenge was to watch a movie uh, from Emma Tolkien's list of visually insane movies. And so it was an extensive list and there are a ton of visually insane movies, but I tried to pick one I had not seen before. Uh, I picked Vanilla Sky because this movie has been around forever. It was a 2001 movie and I've heard about it basically since it came out and I've never gotten around to seeing it. Uh, so I saw Vanilla Sky for the first time and it is it is definitely a mind bender. Uh, what's going on with Tom Cruise in that movie? Uh, I think it was a prelude to Crazy Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> crazy Tom Cruise might be in, uh, in there too. Uh, might be a little too close to home on some of the acting there. Uh, but uh, it was an interesting movie. It was interesting as to what they were driving at and where they were going. I think it fits nicely into the piece that I'm working on about the, the, some of the period pieces from the mid nineties to the early two thousands about uh, basically the idea of your world is not real and and playing around with that idea as as technology starts taking over uh, but interesting performances i i would not have classified this movie personally as visually insane um there are very interesting visual scenes in there but it, it was not i wouldn't say it's as standout a visual movie um, as i was expecting given that it was on this list um, the second thing I watched was uh, last night I went to see Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, a friend invited me. And so I wasn't sure I was going to see this movie. But uh, when you have someone to go with who wants to see it, that works. Um, I was a little unsure tonally as to whether I would like this movie. I knew they were going to try and pull off a decent amount of humor. But with that kind of genre of film, I wasn't sure that it was going to mesh well. Uh, but it did. It did. It, it had the humor was good. It was enjoyable. There was uh, definitely some funny, lots of funny scenes throughout. Um, it created a nice light atmosphere for the movie. It didn't take itself overly seriously, which was nice. Um, so I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would. There were some there were some pretty interesting visual elements in, in it as well. There were some uniquely done things that were that were good. Um, it fits kind of in a similar vein to some of the other fantasy type movies that have that you've seen recently. So it doesn't come out anything that's totally crazy or new. Uh, one thing I will say is uh, the one thing that kind of didn't work for me was a little bit of the the Michelle Rodriguez storyline. Um, I might be a little biased because I tend to not be a big fan of Michelle Rodriguez, but um, I will leave that for for you guys to uh, decide on your own when you watch this. But yeah, it was an interesting movie. It wasn't bad. Uh, anything else you got? I do not. I need to go watch some more movies. Absolutely. Uh, so that will be the podcast. Uh, make sure you check out filmforfans.com where my review of John Wick 4 is up, uh, plus other stuff like our best movies of, of 2022 is still up there and lots of other good content. Make sure you go there. Uh, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, watch us on YouTube if you don't just want to hear our voices. Um, but until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>